Good morning. We are going to be in Psalm 39 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 39. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of Bibles floating around. Uh, there's some on the tables. There's some under some of the, some of the chairs. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, please take one of the Bibles. It's yours. Let's pray, and then we'll read the psalm together. Lord, thank you. Um, thank you for the beautiful music this morning. Thank you for the beautiful voices being lifted up to you. God, I am reminded of my dependence on you. I am reminded of my helplessness without you. Father, I pray that as we spend our time this morning in this psalm, you would breathe life into us. God, I pray for those in here who are desperate this morning to hear from you that you would speak. God, I pray that you would deepen our love and our affection and our joy in you. God, I pray that you would deepen our love for those around us. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read this whole psalm, and then uh, we'll break it down. Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail. And my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know the end of my days and what it is, the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes out, goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. This psalm paints a picture of a person's suffering. The writer is in distress. There has been, for centuries, those who have tried to understand suffering. Why is there suffering? Poets, philosophers, scientists, artists, theologians have all wrestled with the why of wrestling, or why of suffering. But I don't think this psalm answers that question. I think our time in Psalm 39 this morning will more satisfy a how to suffer. 
I believe there are many in here this morning and in our church who are suffering in one way or another. And I'll be honest, I feel completely inadequate. I feel completely inadequate on how to answer the how to suffer because I know some of the suffering you are going through. So my prayer this week and this morning has been that it wouldn't be Christoph, that it would be God who, um, who, who speaks into your suffering. I read, I've read a couple commentaries on this psalm in particular, and there are many different commentaries that have speculated on why is this psalmist suffering? What is the suffering this psalmist is enduring? When we read the psalm, sometimes we can point back to a historical part of Scripture and go, this is when this psalm was written. And we don't necessarily have that with this psalm. So we're not totally sure why the psalmist is suffering. But I think that is an advantage to us this morning because then it means that there are a multitude of you who are suffering in a multitude of different ways. And we can read this and hopefully better understand how to work through our suffering. Here's a few ways that the psalmist has been speculated to suffer, and here's maybe a few ways um, that you are suffering this morning. First of all, the psalmist is suffering due to their own sin. It says, deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. Suffering can come from the consequence of our sins. We go forward confident knowing that Jesus has forgiven our sins, yet we still bear the earthly consequence of our sin. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Suffering comes from the hand of sin, and we've all sinned. So maybe this morning there is a heaviness in your heart due to the pain and the consequences of your own sin. Number two, speculation on how this psalmist may be suffering. The psalmist is suffering due to being sinned against. In the same way that our sin brings about suffering in our lives, the sins of others brings suffering into our lives. Could the psalmist be suffering due to being sinned against? Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. Much like we walk forward in the confidence of knowing that we have been forgiven, we are called to forgive those who sin against us. But in the same way, like our own sin, that doesn't mean there are not earthly consequences and pains to being sinned against. And so maybe this morning, there's a heaviness and a pain in your heart due to being sinned against by a brother or a sister. Third idea, is the psalmist is suffering due to the brokenness of the world that they're currently living in. I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. This could be the brokenness of the culture that they live in. Do you look around at the culture and grieve the things that are capturing people's hearts that should be God? Knowing that it produces death? This could also be the sin that is just produced from general suffering, sickness, pain, the passing of a loved one. Maybe this morning you're feeling that suffering, the weight of a brokenness of the effects of sin. And so I said before, this psalm might not give an answer to why there is suffering, but I think it gives a how. I think there are three things 
that we can take away this morning from this psalm that can help us in suffering. Um, so three things, three, three-part sermon. And by the way, it's in an alliteration, which means hopefully you'll be able to uh, remember it. Now, um, as a father who has kids, I know that the, the kids are in here this morning, and maybe some of you have the note-taking sheets. Yes, maybe, maybe, some, okay. Um, and on the note-taking sheet, there is a part in there, there's a little pie that says words that you don't know. And so maybe these three words are words that the kids in here don't necessarily know. So parents, we can help them spell it out, write it down on their sheet of paper, and then maybe that's a great tool to also have um, later on today. But I think there are three ways that Psalm 39 helps us through our suffering. Now, these three things, perception, perspective, and a passionate plea. So perception, perspective, and a passionate plea. And these are all ways for us to go before God in prayer in seasons of suffering. I'm going to give you a moment to write those down. Maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a note-taker. If you're not a note-taker and uh, you're an adult, maybe you want to grab one of the kids' note-taking sheets. It's an awesome note-taking sheet. Donna did an awesome job with it. I love it. So I, I think it's great. I, adults and kids should use it. Um, all right. Perception, perspective, and a passionate plea. Perception. Right away at the beginning of this psalm, we read the psalmist give a detailed writing of what they are feeling. Psalm 39, 1 through 3. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I, will, I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. So something is going on with the writer here where they are so distressed. They are working with all of their might to keep it in because they know that if they let it go, whatever comes out of their mouth, it might be like scorching hot lava destroying anyone around them. They describe their heart as hot and burning within them. They are like an active volcano ready to explode. There is a perception that is going on here. There is an understanding of what they are feeling, and that is what perception is, right? The ability to understand something. The writer of Psalm 39 has a very keen understanding of what is boiling inside of them. They are perceptive to how they are feeling and how it may affect themselves and others. We'll give an example. I am not very perceptive when it comes to mechanical things. When there are weird sounds coming out of my car, I will open up the hood of my car and I will go, yep, that's a weird sound. And that is about the extent of my perception when it comes to mechanical things under the hood of the car. We need to be perceptive to what is going on inside of us. We need to be, we need, uh, sorry, perception, perceptive. We need to be perceptive of ourselves. So the question is, how do we do this? You know, if I want to be more perceptive to understanding what is underneath the hood of a car, I can go and look up in a manual or I can go on YouTube and watch a video because we are in the 21st century and like, that's how I fix everything at this point in my life. Um, but the best way to perceive something is to understand its creator. When students are in school, they learn about art by learning about the artists. 
When you look at a famous painting like Starry Night from Van Gogh, it looks nice, but to better understand this painting, to have it, better uh, have it better come to life, we understand the life of Vincent Van Gogh and the depression he struggled with and, and all of his struggles. I'm reading Mere Christianity right now with a group of students, and at the very beginning of it, uh, if you don't know Mere Christianity, it's this fantastic book written by C.S. Lewis um, back uh, in the early 20th century. Um, and to better understand Mere Christianity, I, I told them that this book was actually originally radio broadcasts that C.S. Lewis was invited to give in England during World War II. It wasn't actually originally a book. It was radio broadcasts, and he broadcasted them, and it had a big impact, and so he put it down into books. And so we have a better understanding of the book. We have a better perception of what is going on because we understand the Creator. So if we are going to better understand ourselves, it needs to begin with looking at our Creator. The psalmist in Psalm 39 recognized the anger boiling under their skin and what it could produce. I think there's a lot of us who suffer without any sort of perception or understanding of what that suffering is producing inside of us. It could be anger. It could be anxiety or worry. It could be depression. It could be apathy, which is just the lack of caring at all. What is it the suffering is producing inside of us? To better understand or to perceive what is going on inside of us, we need to look to our Creator. I think this is illustrated pretty well in Isaiah chapter 6. So Isaiah, a prophet, has this incredible experience of going before the throne of God. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, says it this way, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The moment that Isaiah is fully known and on full display in front of his Creator, he falls to his knees and recognizes his brokenness. We want to understand, we want to perceive what is going on inside of us. We look to our Creator. We look to our Creator. We have, we have an entire book that we can go through and look to Him. We have direct communication with Him in prayer. We have a, a church body we commune with in order to perceive or better know who God is so that we may better know who we are and what is being produced inside of us. Another example about this, or another example of someone who is in the midst of suffering and they went to the Lord to better understand it, um, is, a, is a pastor who um, recently passed away. He's one of my favorite authors and pastors. And if there are any teens in here, they're probably going to roll their eyes because I've been quoting him a lot lately because I've been reading a lot of his books and um, just listening to um, a lot of his stuff. But um, uh, Tim Keller uh, was recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer back in 2020. Um, 
And if you don't know, pancreatic cancer is a rough cancer to be diagnosed with. It is, um, there, there's not a high survival rate um, for pancreatic cancer. And so that was back in, in 2020. And he was invited to write an article in a uh, well-known newspaper um, about how he has been processing this as a pastor and as an author and as a, as a theologian. Um, and he, he wrote this, and, and it's an incredible article in itself to just read, a, read this pastor processing um, their mortality. And he said this, I found that to embrace God's greatness to say, thy will be done, was painful at first. And then, perhaps counterintuitively, profoundly liberating. Profoundly liberating. So in his suffering, in this diagnosis, terminal diagnosis, He looked to God, and at first, pain. It was not easy. But then, after spending time looking upon the face of God, looking at who he is, spending time in his word and in prayer, it was profoundly liberating to see the face of his good and gracious king. Perception. The second way the psalm helps us work through our suffering is perspective. Psalm 39, 4 through 6, and I am not going to be able to say it as beautifully as Jason did during worship, um, but we're going to read it anyways. Psalm 39, 4 through 6, O Lord, make me know my end in what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. So after recognizing this anger, after perceiving what is going on inside of their heart and, and guarding their heart and trying to hold back as much as possible, the psalmist finally speaks. And what follows is perspective or the ability to look at something from a different point of view. So perspective is important because perspective helps us to make a better judgment on the value we place in something. I'll give an example. One of the more common challenges I hear um, just in doing youth ministry with parents and teens is sports. It's hard. The demands of sports for our kids today are um, pretty weighty. And the demand on time seems to be growing exponentially. And it starts innocent enough. It starts with a few tournaments and it's fun. But before you know it, you have enough wooden baseball bats to keep a bonfire lit for the entire summer. <laughs> High school sports were really important for me uh, to gain perspective in my life. So I went to Marinette High School. I graduated in 2006. Um, I entered in 2002. I loved football, played football. 
And uh, anyone growing up in the area might remember that in the 90s, Marinette was a powerhouse football team, right? Like they were, they were right up there and they played against, we were in the Bay Conference and we played against teams in Green Bay, so much bigger schools, much bigger population draw, and we were playing against big teams. And in the 90s, the Marinette Marines um, were a dominant football team. And so as a kid, I grew up and I got to go and see some of these games, and I was excited, and I was a football player. And so uh, I'm, I'm entering this program in 2002 to start playing football. So I played football all four years of high school. I proceeded to lose every single football game all four years. <laughs> Perfect record, yes. <laughs> the last football game I won was in middle school. There were no visions of grandeur for me when it came to high school sports, all right? It was a, you, you like gritted through. I think by the time we finally finished our senior year, we started, we probably started with like 30, 40 kids that played in my class and we were down to like 13 of us. Like it was just, it was hard. Uh, but there was no, no better or, uh, there's no better way for me to have perspective on, on high school sports because I was like, well, this is, this is it. There is no better or more important perspective that we ourselves can have than the shortness of time that we actually have here on earth. I mean, the older I get, I feel like I find myself reciting the cliche, the days are long, but the years are short, over and over and over again. Uh, John Calvin, a 16th century reformer, put it this way, we undertake all things as if we were establishing immortality for ourselves on earth. If we see a dead body, we may philosophize or think about briefly the fleeting nature of life, but the moment we turn away from the sight of the thought of our own perpetuity, it remains fixed in our minds. So we have this tendency to take for granted the time that we actually have. And here's the thing, like that time is short cannot allow suffering to steal that from us. This prayer that the psalmist is offering in Psalm 39 is to help remind ourselves that our days are fleeting. Our days are but a few breaths compared to eternity. We are but a shadow, a sojourner, or a traveler. We are but a guest here. And listen, I don't think this is to diminish the suffering that you are going through, but it's rather a tool to say, I don't want to let it steal any more time. Like, here's the thing. For the Christian who is in here, if you have professed Jesus to be Lord, you have an eternal hope in Jesus. The weight of sin is more heavy than any person could bear. So God, in his deep and unending well of grace, took that burden of sin for us. And this is the good news, right? That Jesus went to the cross. He paid the price for our sin. The creator condescended to earth and paid the price for us. And the grave could not hold him. He rose three days later. We worship a God who has every right to look at us and declare us condemned, but instead clothes us in righteousness. 
he calls us sons and daughters. Perspective. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you repented of your sins and placed your faith in him? Listen, only a person with an eternal perspective could write something like this, Romans 8, 18, in the midst of their suffering. Only one person who, only a person who knows that their time here is fleeting, but their time with the Lord is eternal could write this. And the early church endured all sorts of suffering at both the hands of the government and the hands of the religious elites, right? We read this in, in Acts and we read this through history that the Christians early on, they received all sorts of persecutings. They died in horrific ways. But yet they could write something like this about suffering. They could write Romans chapter 5, 2 through 5. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. What? The early church, they rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Rejoice in suffering? Notice how it's the perspective, the adjusted view of eternal life that gives this perspective on suffering. Notice how it produces life within the person who is suffering. Now, the evil one wants to come in and twist that and say that suffering produces death. But scripture says it produces life. It produces endurance. It produces hope. It produces character. That has been given to us by the Holy Spirit who goes with us. It is an eternal perspective that though you may not understand the why to what is going on right now, you can trust in the eternal glory of God when he says, when you stand before him and he goes, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because of what you did, but because you trusted in Jesus. It is worth more than any treasure this world could offer. James chapter 4, 13 through 15, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do that. We have such a short time here, such a short time. We cannot let it fly away. So the second tool for the sufferer, for the one who is suffering, perspective. Perception, perspective. And lastly, a 
passionate plea. You may look at this psalm and you may have heard me and go, Christoph, I can easily see what's before me. I can perceive it. I understand it. I can perceive the suffering that is being produced within me and I have prayed day and night for an eternal perspective to take root in my heart that I would know that my time here is short but I am still suffering. I am still in pain. I don't think you're alone. I think this is the same echo of the psalmist in this last section of the psalm. So this last section reads of a passionate plea of one going before God, and I would encourage you to do the same, to go before God, honestly lay before him what is stirring up in your heart. Let's read this. Psalm 39, 7 through 13. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you, disciple, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Do not hold your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and, am in no more, and I am no more. There is, there is a lot in these six verses. And we could spend a lot more time in these, but I, I think it'd be better for us to look at it in a bigger perspective. To know that God wants us to go before him honestly and passionately in our suffering. We kind of have this like Midwestern grit to ourselves that when we pray, it's kind of the, uh, the equivalent of going like, the, hey, how are you? And you go, doing fine. Okay. Could you imagine praying to God that way? Praying in the equivalent way of just going, you know, things are great. Just keep going on. And first of all, he knows what's going inside of your heart. You're not fooling him. And second, we read in the Psalms so many passionate and honest pleas of those who are suffering. He hears you. His word tells us that he is not a God who is apathetic or cold. He does not want you to grit your teeth through the suffering. It's a beautiful illustration that he collects our tears into bottles. He writes our sufferings down into a book. Psalm 56 says, You have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? The Lord knows. He knows. Go before him honestly. The verse that really got me in this section that just, when I first, well, not the first time reading this psalm, but when I read it recently, um, a couple weeks ago, that just like, it, 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 it hooked my heart and I was like, what is this talking about? Was this last verse where it says, look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. I read that and I go, shouldn't God looking at us cause us to smile? What is this psalmist talking about? Why would we plead that God would look away from us so that we may smile? And then I kind of had an illustration with my kids. (laughs) I have three kids, seven, four, and two. 
Our two-year-old, Abel, is our first boy, so we have two older girls. And I, I didn't think early on there would be much of a difference between boys and girls. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I was wrong. Uh, and listen, it's not that uh, our girls didn't have uh, their wild sides, right? They do. They absolutely do. Some of you know them. You're like, trust me, I know. Um, but man, my son, Abel, two years old, he loves to run around with reckless abandon. In fact, if you hear a kid babbling during the sermon, it is probably him, like 95% chance it is definitely him. Um, he is wild. And I, love see- I love seeing him run around and express himself. I think it's awesome. But I have a greater perspective than he does on the potential consequences of his actions, right? If he is outside of our house running around and I see him running to the streets, I am going to reach down and grab him, right? I'm going to grab him because I do not want him to run into the road, especially if I see a car coming. I'm going to grab him and hold him back. And how do you think he's going to feel in that moment? He's going to look back at me and go, remove your hand from me. Look away from me so that I might smile again. Not realizing that the hand that's holding him back is holding him back from potentially incredible pain. So I think when the psalmist is praying this, it's a very honest and passionate plea, Lord, remove your hand from me so that I may smile again. And the Lord, who has a greater perspective than we could ever have, is in his grace and mercy holding us back from what could be potentially more pain. And I said I wasn't going to try to answer the why to suffering, so that's as deep as I'm going to go into that one. But the point is this. Go before the Lord honestly. Passionately. This is the beauty of the gospel. God does not expect you to have it all together. He is not surprised by your suffering. He is not surprised by your brokenness. He is not surprised by your words. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Rather than expecting us to have it all together in order to draw near to the throne, which by the way is the majority of all other beliefs out there is that we have to have it all together. We have to do the right thing and as we do the right thing, we earn the right kind of merit and then we're able to approach God. That's not the truth. It's the other way around. He took on flesh. God, the creator, came to earth, lived among us. It's wild. He lived a perfect life. He said, I will pay the price for sin. You don't have to. You can't. I am going to dwell among you. Send the Holy Spirit to dwell among you so that you may be a witness to the world that needs to hear my message of grace. Life is far too short for us to wait on us going to him and having it all together. Go before him. 
Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. This is my hope this morning, that our time in Psalm 39 has given you some ways to suffer well. We are all going to suffer. We are either suffering now, we have suffered, or we will suffer. But know that our suffering is a product of the broken world that we live in and that God is not distant to you in your suffering. He hears you. He loves you. He suffered on the cross. He did not stay on the cross. He conquered the grave. He rose three days later. Death could not hold him. Similarly, the current suffering you may be going through, while it may be painful right now, it is temporary. We have a great hope in our good and gracious King, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful. I am so thankful for Psalm 39. I am so thankful for the perspective, the reminder that we, are, we have such a short time here on earth. God, I pray for the one in here who is suffering for the one who has been sinned against gravely by a brother or sister for the one who has recently lost a loved one I pray for the one who um, is wrestling with sin that they themselves have, have committed God I pray for your grace I pray for your mercy God I pray for your comfort I pray for your peace I pray that you would help us to grow deeper. You would grow, that we would grow deeper in our affection for you knowing that your grace is enough, your love is enough. You are so good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.